You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome in. It's the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon in Denver, Colorado. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Talking. How are you doing? Talking, talking to get to where I can figure out what episode number this is. 106. <laughs> 106 is this week's edition of the show. That's crazy. I feel like we need to set up a thing like where we just text each other the next episode like <laughs> randomly. Like it'll be By Saturday way, afternoon. Next time is 107. Yeah, 107. Yeah. Probably, what, do, what do you mean 107? No, 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 no. Good. That's just the next episode. I feel yeah. like we're very well prepared for virtually every facet of this episode or of this show every week, except for the episode number. Like we have a <laughs> guest coming on. We researched that. We got our three strikes topics. We know what we're going to talk to Ben about. But with the exception of the episode number, everything is nailed down. And then every week it's like, oh, man, I started talking and I don't remember what episode this is. And I don't think anybody cares other than us. <laughs> no, not really. So... With that, now you know. It's episode number 106 of the show before the show. Talking minor league baseball, talking top prospects, talking all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, today, we will be joined by the manager of the AAA Charlotte Knights, Mark Grizzolanek, the highest affiliate in the Chicago White Sox organization, a very, very talented roster in Charlotte. We'll talk to Mark Grizzolanek about Yohan Makata and Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez and Carson Fulmer and Saturday Night Live and Ski Ball. We got a lot of stuff coming up with Mark Grizzolanek, and uh, none of that is a lie, by the way. Uh, especially those last two topics. Um, before we get into this week's edition, thanks for finding us wherever you did. We're on iTunes, we're on the Stitcher app, and we are at MILB.com slash podcast. If you find us uh, via your mobile device or elsewhere, you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription, and we would very much appreciate it. We keep climbing the charts in the old baseball podcast landscape, which is pretty cool. I'm a yeah, fan. Yeah, definitely. I'm yeah, a fan of that. no, that that's. I mean, it's great for us. It's it's a good ego boost. It means you guys are actually listening. Um, the amount of feedback we get during the week means you guys are listening, and we we always greatly appreciate that. No matter what type of feedback it is, uh, I got uh, a direct message this week um, saying I say kinda too much, which good. I'm glad you're listening enough to know yeah, that I say that too know, much. And it, sure. that's. You know, it's a yeah, it's a verbal tick that I I will be the first to admit I'm trying to improve on. Um, I'm consider myself a, a writer first and a podcaster about sixth. So uh, definitely stuff I can improve on. I, I am not on Tyler's level in terms Get of the out gift of, of here. gabs. Oh well, well just because I talk too much. <laughs> no, just because you've made a career out of this, and I I am very very miles behind very very far behind i'm actually but, uh, really surprised that i haven't gotten any dms saying you yell too much calm down <laughs> weird no it's it's not like people don't appreciate your enthusiasm by <laughs> screaming like a crazy person no, you know. i will i will i will say i appreciate the enthusiasm Tyler. Signature. how about that thanks buddy i appreciate you as the sam as the only the only person who can give you direct feedback in That's this true. very moment, I will say I appreciate your enthusiasm. That is true. Okay, that works for me. Um, but yeah, thanks to all of you for you know listening closely enough to, to notice things about the show and get in touch with us however you want to. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and I am at Tyler Mon. And with that, we will get into three strikes for episode number 106. We'll start things off with a bombshell story from Major League Baseball this week. Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder Starling Marte suspended for use of a performance enhancement 
enhancing drug, a positive test in that regard. He will miss 80 games, Will Starling Marte. Uh, this is a stunner. Nandrolone is the uh, the substance in question here, uh, a violation of Major League Baseball's joint drug agreement. Um, an 80-game loss for the Pirates from Starling Marte is obviously huge. He will not be eligible for the postseason if the Pirates do make it that far. Uh, Marte is an all-star and a two-time Gold Glove Award winner. The Pirates have started off struggling a little bit. We're not going to talk about this in relation to what it means for Starling Marte or what it means for the Pirates in the loss of Starling Marte. How we are going to approach this is what does it mean for the next highest touted prospect in a long history now of very, very good outfield talent in the Pirates organization, and that's Austin Meadows, who has started off this season struggling a little bit with the AAA Indianapolis Indians through 11 games so far this season, just slashing 146, 217, 244. Looked like he was starting to get it going a little bit, had a four-game hitting streak uh, from April 12th through April 16th, but last night, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday, last night on Tuesday, he went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts in uh, a home matchup with the Durham Bulls. That was a 6-5 Indians loss, but Sam, give me your thoughts on this because it obviously is uh, is a bad situation for the Pirates all the way around. It could be made a little bit better if Austin Meadows looked like he was ready to go, but uh, there have been some struggles there. We talked about how young he is. He's still just 21. He's very young for that level, but he's taken some knocks early on yeah for sure um i think it's it's only natural for you know us uh, us especially but any fan base to immediately ask okay we know we have a top prospect who fills this need i mean that's what fueled the andrew mccutcheon speculation in this offseason uh you know if if he was going to be traded if he was going to be moved coming off a down year hey austin meadows will be ready soon enough you know deal him now well well, we can get something, and then Meadows will be ready by May or June. Problem is, we're not having this discussion in May or June. We're having this discussion in April because of the Starling Marte news, um, and because it's this early. You know, Meadows really hasn't found his footing. Like Tyler mentioned, you know, six for forty-one, a one forty-six average. Um, you know, part of that could just be early season struggles. He really didn't do that great of a job last year in Indianapolis either 37 games had a 214 average uh, showed some pop six homers uh, 757 OPS so overall was about league average uh, in terms of production there hasn't been the case here in the first 11 games they don't need him to be uh, that and as much as you want to say well there is a major league need right now the Pirates don't need him to you know be banging down the door at, at 21 he turns 22 on May 3rd uh, you know, they want him to be doing everything he needs to become a more complete player. So, you know, he's going to take his lumps. Unfortunately, he struck out 13 times and 41 at bats. I, I think that's a little high on his end. Um, but, you know, it, we'll, we'll get it more into this in the second uh, in the second strike here. But, you know, just because somebody's struggling early doesn't mean they're not going to figure it out. It's not time to, to worry about Austin Meadows just yet. Uh he doesn't really have the experience at AAA. Like I said, only 48 total games there at that level. Um, you know, let him get that experience. Maybe we're talking about him replacing Marte, you know, towards the end of that suspension. Uh, 82 games, that's going to get us, you know, into the second half of the year. Um, but, you know, the way he's performing so far, it's, it's not enough to force the issue. I think Jose Azuna was the guy they called up to replace him. Uh, Adam Frazier is the guy who played in right field. 
uh, in their first game without Marte. So they're shifting things around. It's a delicate balance. You know, someday we'll have the discussion of Austin Meadows banging down the door and what do they do with him? You know, once Marte's back, but I don't think it's going to be into until the latter half of that suspension, if not the very end. Maybe we're talking again about you know the Pirates being in the same situation they were at the beginning of the year by the time Meadows is ready. Um, whether they're still competing at that point, who knows? I mean, losing Marte is a, is a big, big loss uh, for a team that is trying to compete with you know, the Cubs and the Cardinals in the NL Central. Um, but, you know, in terms of Meadows, in terms of that's where our focus is because we are prospect folks. If you're listening, you're probably a prospect person. Um, you know, I, I, I really tell you to hesitate uh, before trying to immediately push, you know, a not ready Austin Meadows to the majors. Austin Meadows is a, a very athletic guy. He is a a very apt baseball player in his uh, adaptations to new levels. I'm not really super concerned about him, um, but again, there is going to be a steep learning curve. No matter the jump to any level, but there's really always a steeper learning curve for younger guys at higher levels. He doesn't turn 22 until May 3rd, and 22 would be very young to be making your AAA debut and be a guy who's on the doorstep of the major leagues. Um, so I'm not worried about Austin Meadows. The issue is, and Sam touched on it a little bit, you find yourselves in a circumstance now where you're already in a tough division. The Pirates haven't started off great this season, hovering right around the 500 mark, a little bit below. Um, this timing-wise... Timing is never good for a suspension of the variety of Starling Martes, but to happen at this stage of a season when the guy who you are maybe relying on to fill that role eventually is very far from ready, that makes it worse because the focus then is so heightened on, well, Austin Meadows isn't ready, what are we going to do now? Um, There is not a whole lot of time that you can lose in the National League Central either. And the Pirates, you know, right now that division is very strange because as of uh, Wednesday when we're recording this, the Cincinnati Reds are leading that division at 9-5. and five. The Milwaukee Brewers are a game and a half behind at 1-5. and five. The world champion Chicago Cubs are 7-7. Seven and seven. They're in third place in that division. But the Pirates, you cannot afford to lose a whole lot of ground. And Starling Marte's suspension puts them in a really difficult spot right now. So I think ultimately the, the lesson has to be what Sam said, you don't want to rush a guy to the big leagues who isn't ready for the big leagues and throw off his development in that way. Um, he needs the time to get it sorted out at AAA Indianapolis. And right now, if he's not ready, if you're the Pirates, you just kind of have to bite the bullet in that regard. So eventually it could mean something big for the Pirates uh, and for Austin Meadows if he gets a look maybe toward the middle or the end of this suspension. But 80 games is a long time to be without a star like Starling Marte. And uh, Austin Meadows just right now – you can't risk that on his developmental track. Right. Yeah. The assumption of, of him coming up and is like, oh, he's just going to fill that hole and it's going to be fine. Right. It's, it's not true. I mean, he, he could come up and he would be, you know, the same as Adam Frazier, probably worse than Adam Frazier because he doesn't have that major league experience. Now you're screwing up your top prospect because he doesn't have the confidence to face major league pitching and he doesn't have that level of success to build on. Um, so it, you're throwing a whole bunch of other things into, into question here, uh, you know, just to bring up a guy because you hope he's ready. You want to make sure he's ready. You want to make sure he's coming up with confidence with some wind at his back. 
um, not just because you have a major league need um, that may not even be filled by just his presence. So that's strike one, and strike two is related to strike one. This week's edition of Tool Shed discusses prospects who uh, have struggled at the starts of seasons, and then you totally forgot that they struggled at the start of seasons. Austin Meadows, right now, things aren't looking great for him right out of the gate uh, with a 461 OPS through 11 games. But as Sam discusses in this week's edition of Tool Shed, a lot of guys have been in that boat. And the one that leads off this column is the one that I really remember last year, Glaber Torres, who is now Major League Baseball's uh, number two overall prospect, according to the MLB pipeline. He had a very, very rough bow at Class A advance with Myrtle Beach in the Carolina League back when he was in the Cubs organization, now obviously in the Yankees system, but finished out uh, a 300-374-463 slash line after April 20th, which was really the the end of his season opening struggle. And the Carolina League gets traded to the Yankees, goes out of the Arizona Fall League. He wins MVP accolades out there in the AFL. Slow starts don't doom guys necessarily. No, the one thing I kind of noticed about putting this together is, I, you know, I just went through, you know, who had the top 50 ERAs and bottom 50 uh, averages you know, over the first three or first two weeks, excuse me, um, going back the last five years. So going back to 2012 and just who, who kind of stood out. So names like labor tour, as you brought up, Seth Lugo uh, last year did not enjoy a really good start at triple a Las Vegas. We know by the end of the year, he was playing an important part in, in both the Mets rotation and the bullpen ended up starting the, the final game of the world baseball classic this year for Puerto Rico. Um, you know, he started out last year um, with, you know, 15 earned runs on 26 hits and five walks and only 12 and two thirds innings for AAA Las Vegas. Part of that is is pitching for Vegas. Part of that is pitching in the PCL. But uh, you know, really did not get out to a good start. But learned some things along the way. I mean, that's the kind of important thing to remember. These first two weeks out, how do we measure uh, guys' learning curves? It's you know, we fall back on our old standards, which is always, how are they doing hitting wise? How are they doing pitching wise? Are they keeping the ERAs low? Are they getting their hits? They might be doing that, but if even if they're not, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not learning the things to put in the performances later. So you mentioned Torres. I mentioned Lugo. Um, go, going back even further, Francisco Lindor back in 2015, which is the year he became you know a, an AL Rookie of the Year contender, ended up losing out to Carlos Correa. But he started out the year 9 for 47 with only 30 extra base hits and then at 602 OPS and 13 games with Columbus. Uh, a big reason for that, he only had a 216 BABIP, which, you know, is part of small samples. Those kind of wacky things can happen. But uh, at the beginning of the year, it, if you were just looking at the numbers, you might be thinking, OK, this guy is going to really be a glove only shortstop. You know, he's going to provide tons of value on that side, but he's never going to really hit enough uh, to, to provide value there. What do we know him now as? We, we know him as the franchise cornerstone for the defending American League champions and a guy who has hit 300 in his first two full seasons at the major league level. So, uh, you know, Lindor took his lumps early, ended up ironing those out, kind of going down the list. John Gray is a guy who struggled at AAA Albuquerque at the beginning. Franklin Barreto made the jump to Class A advanced Stockton from short season the year before. He didn't hit the ground running. It had been 152 in his first two weeks. Um I think the furthest one I had back was Matt Harvey, who, you know, we eventually know him as the Dark Knight uh, pitching for the Mets back in 2012. But um, at the beginning of that year, he gave up 11 earned runs 
in only 13 innings over his first two weeks for an ERA of 7.62. His whip was 2.15 in that first two weeks at AAA Buffalo uh, before the Mets affiliate moved to Vegas. So he doesn't even have that excuse of you know pitching in an extreme hitter's park or hitter's league. He was just flat out hittable in those first couple of weeks, made the adjustments, uh, you know, ended up being the first really big, I think, Mets pitcher that is now part of that really good staff. Um, so if you're sitting here worrying about somebody like Austin Matthews or J.P. Crawford, who is, again, struggling at AAA Lehigh Valley, um, you know, we could go down the names. I think last week's tool shed, I kind of hit on it. Lucas Giolito was another guy. Uh, who had who was looking like he was struggling early? I, I still have my worries about him, but if you're looking at just the numbers, it, it's a it's too early. B, even if they are struggling in terms of, um, you know, not making the adjustments they need to, sometimes they need to take these lumps early to know what to know what a struggle is like and to know what the problems in their games are, and you see those fix themselves as the year goes on. It might not even be this year. Uh, it could be, you know, years going forward. There's a reason why these guys are top prospects. It's because they're talented. Uh, it's because they're being tested at young ages. And being tested at young ages means you're going to struggle. And sometimes that happens very early on in the season. Um, the reason I did this list is just kind of be your antidote. You know, if you're sitting there worried again, like about an Austin Matthews, or Austin Meadows, excuse me, um, this is a reason why not to be that that worried about it. Don't freak out. Things are going to be okay, people. We promise. Um, Glaber Torres, by the way, we also I should discussed. have just wrote, written that. Yeah, that should have just been the whole column. <laughs> Don't freak out. Everything's going to be fine. It'll all be great. Yeah. Um, Glaber Torres is another one uh, out of the gate. And, again, very young for his level, 20 years old with AA Trenton. He's only slashing 237, 341, 342. Eh, Glaber Torres is going to be fine. He'll be fine. Calm down. Yeah, the, the only worry with him right now is he sat out Tuesday night's game with a – Shoulder injury. They've diagnosed him, I think, with bicep tendonitis. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, doesn't sound overly worried, worrisome, but uh, he's going to be getting an MRI. They're going to kind of be checking out on that. So uh, just something to keep an eye on. Hopefully everything works itself out. And if you were worried about his performance, don't worry about that. He, he We saw how good he was in the spring. I'm sure he's going to carry that to the AA level once he's health, fully healthy again. That's how it goes uh, with super talented dudes. Um, strike three, Sam. Yeah, this, uh, this is this was maybe my favorite story on the site this week, um, and I, I'm not saying that just to pump up Tyler. I really did enjoy it, just because I think it's something that we can all take something from. Um, Eric Young Jr. now in the Angels system um, at Triple A Salt Lake. Uh, you probably know his father. You probably know him. He's been all over the league, all over Triple A, all over the major leagues. Uh, has had a really difficult time off the field. And is somehow turning that into positive performance on the field. Tyler, I, I kind of want to let you take it just because you wrote the story. You got to actually talk to him. Uh, um, but it, it was one of the most human stories I think I've ever read about on our site. And just to hear him kind of talk his way through what he's been through uh, was kind of fascinating for me and, and inspirational. Well, Eric Young Jr., yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> the crazy thing about him is you go look at Eric Young Jr.'s career numbers at milb.com and his you have to scroll 
like 50% of the page just to list all the teams that he's been with just since 2013. He's been with the Colorado Rockies and the New York Mets at the big league level, the Binghamton Mets in uh, 2014 at the double A level and class A advanced St. Lucie uh, as part of his season in 2014. Also spent hundred games at the big league level with the Mets 39 or 35 games with the Braves in 2015 at the big league level 18 with the Mets. He also spent two stops in triple a. He was with Las Vegas for eight games. Gwinnett for 67. Last year he was with the Yankees. Then he was back in the Rockies organ or in the Brewers organization, but he was back in Colorado with the Sky Sox. This season he's with Salt Lake in the uh in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim organization. So Eric Young is a very well-traveled guy, and he is a very veteran guy. He's now 31 years old. He's a former 30th round draft pick back in 2003. There's been a lot stacked against Eric Young in his career, but he's made it work. Um that's all been on-field stuff. Over the last week or so, you really saw his name pop up in box scores really impressively. Stuff he was doing uh, back on Friday night, he finished a triple away from the cycle. Uh, He had a a really good game prior to that on Thursday, collected three hits. Um, Then on Sunday, I believe he had another uh, big performance. Then on Monday night, goes out and goes five for five with a double, two RBIs, a run scored. It was his first five-hit game since July 3rd, 2007, when he was with Class A Advanced Modesto. And that story, you go into it, and as a writer, you request the interview and – uh, our, our good buddy Craig with the, the Salt Lake Bees calls and says, hey, I got EY here for you and hands the phone over and you start talking and you think you're going to talk a story about, oh, you went five for five and you got 11 hits over your last three games. I mean, how are things going for you at the plate? And he opened the interview by saying, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good week for me. I guess you could say it's one of the best weeks off of one of the hardest weeks for me as well. I found out about three or four days ago, my grandma passed away. So it's been a hard week and a great week at the same time. And as soon as he said that to me, you kind of get this this knife feeling in your gut because the story that you remember about Eric Young Jr. most recently is back in spring training, he opened up to his teammates about losing his firstborn son in January. His son was born three months premature, Eric Young III, spent one night on earth and then passed away, born too early for his body to handle. Um, and that was something that is that is pain that no human being can comprehend. I'm not even going to pretend like I can understand the way something like that would hurt. And for EY, it comes in a spot in his career where things are already a little tumultuous. Last year, he spends time in a couple different organizations. This year, he signs with the Angels. He's getting into a new system. He has to get to know all new guys, whatever it is. And then you go to spring training, and you're already dealing with a heart as heavy as that. But that seemed like it was the refuge for him. The sanctuary for him was being back in baseball, being around teammates, getting a chance to talk to guys about that, open up about the things that he had been through. And that is hard enough. And then last week, Lucille, his grandmother, the mother of his father, the former big leaguer, Eric Young Sr., she passes away. And so it's just one of those things where in talking with EY, you kind of got the sense that this is a guy who has surrendered to the fact that a lot of things in life are out of your control and they're out of the control of all of us. And there are only so many things that you can wrap your hands around and hold in your life. And one of those things for EY is baseball and it's his career. And he said, one of the quotes that, that stuck with me most was he said, quote, the guys keep me young keep me having fun out here keep things in perspective I get to come every day and I get to play baseball when you put things in perspective like that you really can't complain obviously I'm having a tough year off the field but being on the field and coming in with these guys every day makes it a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable I appreciate every opportunity that I get the maturity and the emotional strength to go through anything like that and then be able to still embrace 
just that basic perspective on life of I'm still here. I still do what I love every day. I still have people around me that I love every day and that's worth it. That was one of the most mind-blowing interviews that I've ever had. And, uh, you know, I mean, Eric Young Jr. has carved out a well-deserved reputation around baseball for just how good of a guy he is. One of the things that I love about him is he, on Twitter, his bio is, Renaissance man trying to impact people as best I can. Not perfect, but I am awesome. But this is the line that I love. When I pass away, I want people to say that I was a good man. And that Eric Young Jr., I cannot think of an, any different way to describe Eric Young Jr. than a good man, a hell of a good baseball player, a guy who's having a lot of fun at the plate as of late, and uh, a really pretty amazing uh, chance to get to talk to somebody like that who shows you a lot of strength when uh, you think things are rough in the world. And then you talk to somebody who's been through stuff like EY has over the last few months, and he's got the strength to keep going. Uh, a lot of people can derive strength from that strength, so it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I highly recommend people – check out the, the story just to read it over print it out like just have it near you at, at some point you know we've all gone through tough times in our lives uh I, like tyler said i don't think anybody can comprehend uh losing you know a child like that in in that fashion uh and yet he's still grinding it out i mean baseball probably you know one of the least important things to him in terms of you know his overall life right now but if it can provide the refuge that it, it it can, if he can get over that and you're never over it. I don't want to say get over it, but if you can show up every day and, and find the success that he is right now, I mean, it, it's incredibly inspirational. It'd be inspirational if he just showed up to the park uh, and he, he's doing more than that. And uh, yeah, I think that's just something we, we all can take something from and again, just kind of save it just save it for that that down moment you're going to have this week of something is happening at work and oh this this is bad and why is it dragging and just remember you know there are people going through things much worse than us uh and it all comes down to character and it all comes down to attitude and EY definitely has two of the best of those in all of the minors. Already one of the easiest guys in baseball to cheer for. And uh, for Eric Young Jr., you can find him on Twitter. He is at EYJR. And uh, go give him some encouragement because uh, one heck of a great guy. And he's been doing a lot of good things on the field as of late for the Salt Lake Bees as well in AAA in the Angels organization. And uh, even after our conversation, uh, he went out the next night and threw out another two for four day. So Eric Young Jr. is now batting a mere 396. 418 509 on the young season and uh another thing that i thought was cool and this is kind of just perspective from a baseball standpoint but i said you know i mean there are guys at the big league level in the outfield struggling a little bit in Anaheim. Do you think about that at all anymore in your career, especially with all the stops you've had? And he said, quote, now because I'm older, I've learned how to control those emotions and those thoughts. I think as a youngster, it's only normal to think about that. Now that I've got some experience, you worry about the things you can control and let other guys worry about those things. If they want to make that call, that's on them. If not, I'm going to keep getting my work in and keep playing as hard as I can where I'm at. So uh, there's a lot of things you can extrapolate about life philosophy from Eric Young Jr. and a, a brief gamer from this week and a big thanks to him for uh talking with the site so that'll wrap up three strikes for this week's edition episode number 106 of the show before the show podcast and coming up we're going to take a trip to charlotte and the chicago white Sox organization where we will talk with the triple a manager of the charlotte knights mark grizzolonic about a very talented roster he's got in that team and a whole lot more that's coming up next
To the International League we go at the AAA level in the first month of the 2017 season, second game of a three-game home series and a six-game homestand tonight for the AAA Charlotte Knights, the affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. And we are joined by the head man in Charlotte, Mark Rizalonic, the manager of the Knights. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, doing wonderful. Thanks. How are we doing over there? We're good. We're good. We're, uh, you know, we get to finally talk about real baseball over the last couple of weeks instead of just speculating about rosters and where guys are headed and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, I would imagine it's better for you guys even than it is for us to finally get into the routine of a season. Oh, no question. You know, we can't, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're anxious to get spring training started, but and we're more anxious to get out of there and get started with the real season for sure. Well, you guys are finally underway and uh, getting things started in uh, in the IL for 2017. And your roster in Charlotte this year, Mark, is one of the ones that we were most excited to see. And I think everybody throughout the prospect community was most excited to see um, because it's just so loaded. And the, the crazy thing about it is it's loaded with a whole bunch of guys who weren't in the organization as of last year and then come over in the offseason and form this really, really talented mix in addition to really talented guys who are already in the organization who are in Charlotte this year just kind of give us what what the feel is like what the dynamic is with that group that you've got in Charlotte right now yeah no question I, I mean you know train train on you try to get to know some people and get uh, get acquainted and feel comfortable in the system with the new guys and and you know the guys that have been here kind of you know school them along and um, but uh, I think it's a, it's a great feeling. The vibe is great here. The atmosphere is, I mean, this ballpark is tremendous to play in. Uh, these kids get it. Uh, they're fortunate. And, uh, you know, it, it is fun to watch when you see the potential of some of these kids here. It, it's really uh, uh, fun to see them get out there and play the game and watch them and, and try to, you know, not only, you know, physically but mentally get them prepared to move to the next level, which is, which is what our jobs are here to do. And Mark, one thing I want to get into before we talk about that roster is just your involvement, you know, with this White Sox organization. And this is your first year managing at the AAA level, previously managed at Class A Kane County and then got involved in the player development side with the D-backs. When did this kind of introduce itself? When did you, you know, first reach out to the White Sox? Did they reach out to you? I mean, how did this opportunity develop? Yeah, um, you know, I, I was uh, my first year in the game was 15, and after I retired in 2010, uh, you know, I, I got the position with the with the uh, Diamondbacks at A Ball uh, man, manager, uh, and uh, you know, I had a pretty successful year. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, and, and for me personally, I was just ready to what's the next step kind of thing for Mark Rezlonic. What do I need to do? What's, you know, I wanted to learn everything, and, and I went into the courting. Uh, coordinating side of it uh shout out to all the different affiliates throughout the organization and got to know all the kids uh, which was enjoyable also i really enjoyed that so you know from that point uh you know the changes that were happening in arizona it was okay where do i fit in kind of thing and before all that happened uh you know uh kind of reached out a little bit um and found out that the white Sox had a position open over there and you know, with Mike Bell, uh, the son of uh, Buddy Bell, uh, with that connection, um, Mike reached out uh, to a few people, and, and Buddy was the one who called back and said we had a position. I interviewed for it, and uh, everything went really well and, and decided to hire me, which has been a great opportunity for me. And, you know, and uh, here I am in the first year in the organization. 
Mark, one of the things that's kind of interesting is you've got two managerial positions in two different organizations, and you didn't play in either of those during your playing days. Was it just kind of one of those situations where, I mean, baseball is such a a relatively small community, and you come across guys in your career that you're going to run into in different organizations and at different places in the future in your career? Is that how, was that the genesis of it with the D-backs initially? Is that, you know, you just obviously worked with guys and come across them later, and that's where you you found yourself landing in in a coaching role? Yeah, no question. I mean, it's kind of like playing. You know, you go out there and you play. You're not just playing for that team you have on your jersey. You're playing for everybody else out there. And you you know, if you impress this one, you know, one person or one eye out there that that says, "Hey, this guy can play. Let's sign him." Um, it's kind of that thing too. I mean, uh, you know, you go out there and and people change roles, people change positions, they move up. Other organizations, you know, uh, hire them, and and from the front office all the way down to, you know, every part of of the game. So. Um, and, and and you know as well as I do, it's it's who you know and and uh, what they think of you, and and it kind of was one of those things. And you know, I you know it, it is what it is. I don't I don't get worked up with that. Oh, I didn't play for this team or organization. Oh my God, I can't work for them. Nonsense. I mean, there's there's guys here I know. There's guys I worked with and came across to at some point in my career, and and uh, we get along and get they understand what I'm about and what I want to do, and and it's it's a great fit. And I think that's kind of how it works. All right, Mark. Well, now I, I kind of want to pivot to the uh, roster itself, starting off with the old Mankata. Um, you know, MLB.com has him as the top overall prospect in the game. Tyler mentioned before he's part of that group that is new to this organization. You know, this is your, your first time working with him. Uh, homered last night, three homers on the season with Charlotte in their 11 games. Uh, just first off, give me your first impressions of him. You know, what did you know about him? Obviously, the the overall talent stood out, but what has it been like getting to know him in these first dozen or so games? And um, you know, what kind of polish are you guys working on with him? Right, right. Well, I mean, I was I was really excited because he's right in my in my backyard in the middle infield. So it was something where I was like, okay, let's do it. I saw some video on him early on before I met him. Um, you know, and uh, no, he's a thicker guy that can, I, I mean, his tools physically are, are just at the top. I mean, I, I can see why everybody loves him and, and, and sees the potential that possibly could come out of that. Um, you know, getting to know him is awesome. He's a good kid. He's young. He, he, he does, uh, you know, his raw talent it speaks for himself. He does have some things to learn as far as, you know, uh, playing the game, little little uh, intricacies around the game, kind of, you know, uh, cutoffs. I mean, just, just basic stuff about the game. So that just comes with reps and understanding it and, and playing the game. Um, you know, I the the talk about him was his defense wasn't you know as 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 good as it should. Uh, as bad as is he has pop. He's a five tool guy. He can throw, run, hit. I mean, he can pretty much do it all. And and we just kind of kind of polish him all up there. So the things we're doing here, and and once I got a hold of him, is defensively just tightening him up a little bit. His footwork needs you know trying to get it a little tighter, a little smoother not so rough, uh, a little softer around the bases, and that in turn will quicken him up a little bit. His hands, too, tighten him up, um, get him to throw a little bit more over the top, uh, strengthen his arms, use his legs a little bit so you don't use as much arm and don't have to, so it saves his arm a little bit down the road. Um, you know, things like that. As far as his, his offense is, is, again, he just needs reps. He's got a, a beautiful swing from the left side. He's obviously a little bit stronger from the left side than he is from the right. 
Um, but again, a switch hitter that is 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 deadly on, on either side, and and uh, you know, and he plays the game with tremendous heart and gets after it. So he, he's he's a fun guy to work with, and I, I look for uh, <clears throat> you know working with him for the next few months until he uh, he makes the jump up there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned so much of your work on defense. You know, some people might know you want to go glove at second base, so I'm sure it helps him to have you there. Uh, to learn from but just to go to the offensive side real fast you know you mentioned being a switch hitter uh one thing that stood out last year when he when he got that call to the majors with boston was you know the inability to make contact consistently um so far he struck out 15 and 40 15 times and 44 at bats with you guys uh you know what what does he need to do to kind of improve that or are you guys not worried about it given you know the way everything else works when he does connect Right. No, you know, I would love to see him, uh, you know, cut those in half maybe. Um, but again, it's a process. I mean, he, he's, he's a young, young boy. I mean, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, what is he right now? He's, uh, 21, maybe 21 years old. I mean, it is like, so for him to mature and understand the experience that he's getting right now is uh, he's, he's probably two years ahead of a normal year, 23, 24, when you break into this league. So, He's learning at a rapid a rapid pace here, and and some of these guys are pretty crafty out there. He's facing some veteran guys um, that are you know five six years more experienced, sometimes up to ten twelve years more experienced than he he has seen, and he's he's a baby still. So uh, getting his reps out there, understanding what they're trying to do to him, and learning and processing is really big for him. So mentally trying to help him understand it and take all that. Uh, but with that said, um, you know he's he's he, he's reading understanding uh, the pitch selection, what they're trying to do to him. So this is all something that the patterns, and this is all something that he's he's getting accustomed to and getting, you know, the relation with and, and trying to understand it. So um, with that said, uh, he can hit a fastball. Trust me on that. Um, so now he needs to break down on the curveballs and be able to hit the hanging curveballs and take advantage of the mistakes there. So it's just him branching off. Uh, understanding um, the 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 pitch selection a little bit more, and then just keep learning. And I think he'll be fine. Mark, let's pivot and talk a little bit about this pitching staff. You guys go into 2017 with really kind of the big three in the White Sox organization: Lucas Giolito, the second-ranked prospect in the system, according to MLB Pipeline. Reynaldo Lopez is number four. Carson Fulmer is number five. Of course, he was a White Sox draft selection, eighth overall in 2015. Um, for those three guys, it's kind of the crazy thing about it is you talk about them and you sort of forget about uh, somebody like Tyler Danish. Or or Zach Birdie, other really talented arms who are on that staff, uh, just because there's so much focus on those top three. But let's go through them a little bit because uh, the discussion coming into 2017, uh, especially in Carson Fulmer's situation, was, well, do the White Sox want him in the bullpen? Is he going to be a guy who just grows up and, and his stuff plays up as a reliever? Or is he going to be a starter? I got a chance to talk to him in spring training. He said he really wanted to be a starter. Chris Getz told me the system, the organization, really views him as a starter. And getting out of the gate this year, Pretty good returns for him so far. 17 innings through his first three stars. He struck out 11. He's only walked three. What have the the early returns looked like from your vantage point for Carson Fulmer first? Yeah, no, Carson, he's he's doing what he needs to do. I think he, you know, yesterday he threw here and got the win. I, I think he topped out at 95 or something like that. Um, throwing the ball extremely well. He, and what I love about him is, 
you know, he's the deception that he brings to the table is short arm, little motion, and and that you can pump it like that. He's he throws a cutter with a, with a curveball and then a change. I mean, he has everything that he needs. Throws plenty hard enough. Um, you know, again, I, I think a lot of people their concern is that it's his size, and and uh, that doesn't bother me at all because he's you know he's whatever he is. He's maybe five eleven, five ten, five eleven. He's not this big overwhelming force out there, but uh, you know the competitiveness that he brings to the table is, is second to none. So um, you got to love a guy like that 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 just kind of steamboats everybody and gets after it. Um, keeps the ball down really nice. Um, I, I like what he's doing out there. And I think for sure he you know he has the ability to be a three in the major league. So now, you know, we just, he's, again, he's young. We got to develop him, get him, get him comfortable with, you know, all of his pitches and when he can throw him. And, you know, this is the level to do it at. And uh, just to go to the other two pitchers real fast that Tyler mentioned, uh, you know, Giolito and Lopez, this is their first season in the system. Um, maybe getting themselves a little acclimated to, you know, the way the White Sox do things. But, you know, they've had success at the AAA level before. Didn't have that same success in the majors last year. Um, you know, this is your first time working with AAA players. What is it like working with them? You know, somebody who knows what the show is like, knows what they have to do to get there, um, has been humbled a little bit. And then now you need to to kind of finish them off to get back, uh, particularly with those two. What are you guys kind of working on in terms of getting them, you know, majorly ready once again? Yeah, no question. I, I mean, it, it's always good when you have a little failure in there, you know, and a little downside to where, okay, you know, I'm, I got to work. I mean, I'm not just going to be handed this and the guys are just not going to lay down for me out there. So, you know, builds character and, and, and it gets you out there working on things and continue that because this is a game where it's a game of adjustments and you got to, you got to make adjustments all the time. And, and these two young lads are out there and they're, they're pitching. And uh, I, I think the biggest thing for both of them is to be a little more consistent and they, and, and their two and three pitches have start got to be a little more consistent around the plate where they can get ahead and start guys off with curveballs or breaking balls and, and get ahead and not just, you know, rely on that fastball so much. Um, you know, you got guys that throw in the mid to upper 90s as starters. It's, it's a rare thing, so that that's kind of uh, something that they have. But yet now they got to build on the off-speed pitches and get consistent with that. It will totally open up some 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 part of their games there on the on the mound to where they can do some real damage up there and, and get to that consistency that we're looking for and then carry that on in the, into the majors. Mark, when you got drafted, you spent four seasons in the minors before making your big league debut and then parts of nine seasons in total, rehab assignments, all that kind of other stuff uh, in the minor league game. Um, but obviously a very long big league career, uh, 1,802 games over 15 years. When you look back at the start of your career, and I asked Chris gets this question at spring training last month, there are so many things different now for what players are able to learn about themselves, uh, what they're able to learn about the game, the amount of scouting that's available to them, um, the amount of information that's available to them. Does that stand out to you as kind of the biggest difference between what guys have access to growing up through the systems in, in baseball now versus what you were a player? What do you think stands out most about the biggest differences between your time in the minors and guys who are coming up now? Well, I mean, there's no question. I mean, that this, the stats and the information that you're you, that is uh, in front of you nowadays is 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 unbelievable. Um, you know the videos you can watch and and see every 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 pitcher, every player, what their weaknesses are, what you want to do. Um, you know, so that that's a huge advantage. When when that started coming into play, 
uh, you know, it was, it was back then we didn't even think it was important. We just went out there and played the game and kind of went through the, you know, the motions and, and it was more about what do I need to do? It was more about, you know, uh, you know, your, your mechanics and getting your things done. But when that opened up the, the stats of other guys, what he likes to do with guys in scoring position, uh, his go-to pitch, his strikeout pitch, uh, you know, uh, situations. I mean, he, that is his time to the home so he can steal bases. I mean, that just opened up and it's just a new part of it. Um, and, and now with the, uh, statistics, uh, with all the, uh, you know, the, uh, bat speeds and things like that, uh, directions and uh, all that stuff. It's just getting so crazy that, um, you know, now we're trying to figure out how to use it all. <laughs> so, um, but the game has changed tremendously in that direction uh, with, with the information that the kids have now, and it's, it's only going to help us. All right, Mark, we got a couple of good ones for you before we get you out of here. Um, when you do preparation for an interview, you you know read as much stuff as you can about somebody, and, and oftentimes that does include checking out their Wikipedia page, which is dubious uh, as, at best. But there is a thing on your Wikipedia page which I am begging the universe to be true, and it's the second sentence under early years, and it says, quote, he was a regional ski ball champion in 1987. Is that true? That is false. That is so false. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that got oh, it. Really man. I I, I'm I mean, so I, I bummed. I came from a... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I did play it when I was younger and okay. had fun with it, but it was never a, uh, you know, a regional champion. Well, and that's what I was going to say is like, is it that structured in El Paso that there are like regional championships or skee-ball? I was going to be baffled by that. Okay, well, since that one is not true, then I do want to ask you about one other thing, which is that you were drafted uh, the second time you were drafted, originally taken out of high school uh, in 1989 by the Mets in the 17th round out of El Paso. But then, and this is really just, uh, I'll, I'll admit, this is admittedly a selfish question uh sam is based in new york i'm based in denver you were drafted out of trinidad state junior college in trinidad colorado very small town uh on the southeastern plains in colorado kind of right at the foothills of the rockies and close to the border of new mexico but not really near anything um a program that has churned out some talent but not a whole lot of guys with 15 year big league careers how did you land at trinidad state Oh my goodness. It was a long run. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I had, uh, you know, uh, some experience. I originally was supposed to go to Oklahoma state. Um, it fell through two weeks before I was going out there with, uh, scholarships and things like that. They changed it up on me. So then I was chasing around a little bit, went to Howard, uh, JC in Texas there. They wanted me to pitch. I didn't want to pitch. I wanted to play shortstop and they said, no, you're a pitcher. So I left there at semester, um, ended up going to school a little bit at home with my girlfriend, El Paso, then went on trying to find a school to take me in and uh, wound out with a wonderful coach over there named Dino Giratano at, at Trinidad State. Uh, got me over there and gave me a scholarship because, you know, I, I was, you know, broke then and couldn't afford anything. And, uh, uh, and, and it all worked out, man. What a wonderful opportunity to play for him and, and to go to Junior College World Series and, and just had a, a wonderful year and experience. All right. Well, my, uh, Tyler's question went one for two instead of which truth is such a bummer. Truthness, yeah. Ski ball Mine, and we actually have video evidence for. Uh, I just wanted to get your your kind of story of the the 1997 SNL skit you were involved in. Uh, it's still on the internet. If anybody wants to find it, Helen Hunt was, I think, the host that week. Uh, you get to put your arm around her in the skit. You get one line. 
I mean, how did that come about with so many major league players involved in that? I think Scott Rowland was one of them, a couple other names people might recognize. They should check it out. It's still online. But, yeah, talk me through that experience. Yeah, what a wonderful experience. We all went up, and uh, our agents are from there. They're aces with Santa, Seth Levinson, and the, all those guys were with, with the same agents there with Sam and Seth. And, you know, it came uh, uh, Sam, one of the uh, – uh, uh, agents there set it all up and said hey and and we just kind of it was like a last minute thing up there um jack nicholson was on helen hunt it was a uh, uh, so funny and and we enjoyed it and i was getting all these dares to give her a kiss and grab her arm and give her a hit in the i mean we were joking around and uh what a great experience really and and hunley was there he was the main guy there and i was just a rookie then and um it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, but again, it was a last minute thing, and and what a great experience meeting them people. Saturday Night Live star, manager of the AAA Charlotte Knights, the affiliate of the Chicago White Sox, and as we all know, legendary 1987 regional ski ball champion Mark Rizalonic <laughs> joins the show. Mark, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way with a fun Knights team. We'll be watching. Oh, awesome! Thank you guys for having me. Big thanks again to Mark Rizalonic, the uh, one-time uh, American League Gold Glove winner, as Sam pointed out, formerly with the Kansas City Royals and a whole bunch of other teams, and uh, an original expo in his career. Uh, big thanks to Mark Rizalonic for joining the show and uh, for lending us his skee ball knowledge. And with that, we'll pivot to Benjamin Hill. Ben, how do you like skee ball? I love skee ball. I used Me to too. play at the Jersey Shore all the time, and uh, I was pretty good. I would take a conservative approach and go for the 30s. And, uh, you know, not try to, like, blow it all in the 50s. And then sometimes there were the ski balls. This is in later years. that, <laughs> Or at least my later years. I would go to places that had those weird 100s in the in the top corners. Yeah. 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 I remember that. I didn't that. grow up with the 100s. I oh, thought that I was like a – And I felt that the 100s were a fool's game because anytime you miss the 100, it's a 10. Yeah. And uh, it's just not worth it. No, that is true. And it's very – it speaks uh, speaks a lot about human psychology that they put it up there knowing that you're going to go for it and then you're just going to get 10s and then you're only going to get like two tickets which contribute to you getting, you know, a plastic dinosaur out of the arcade in, uh, in Wildwood. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, well, Wildwood. the reason being – I'm a high-class guy, man. No, I was – I, I went to Cape May, but I wanted to be relatable to the people. I wanted to be one of the people's people. Well, I only Otherwise known as – so, oh, okay. So Sam's the trashy one among us. Jesus. <laughs> uh, we're not elitists. I've been to Wildwood. I spent the night in the worst hotel I've ever been in in my life in Wildwood. So I think that like so. almost every hotel in Wildwood qualifies as that. Just kidding, Wildwood people. <laughs> we are spin off podcast. Just, just, just kidding. Reviewing the Jersey Shore. <laughs> we're just riffing on Wildwood, New Jersey, and everybody is confused who has never been there. Um, well, the reason being, uh, Ben, we discussed with Marcus Zalonic the second line in his Wikipedia bio is that he was a regional ski ball champion in 1987. Turns out not to be true. If you had to invent an accomplishment for yourself and put it on a Wikipedia bio of yourself, what would it be? Um, probably that I'm a ski ball champion. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's a really good one. And not to suggest that Marcus Alonic invented that himself, but somebody did. And I love Sam and I discussed as soon as we got off the call. He obviously had been made aware of that fact before because he was like, yeah, I don't know how that got on there. So uh, now we know. Whoever whoever the, the ski ball Wikipedia bandit is who's going around and uh, updating the pages of former big leaguers, kudos to you, our good friend. Well, uh, Ben, you're coming up on trip number one, the Frisco Rough Riders and the Lazy River and Teddy Roosevelt, who swings really weird in the logo. It's all on deck. Yeah, my road trip 
season, my, my season of travel kicks off tomorrow, which would be Thursday, which would be today, today. if you're listening yeah. to this on the day it came out. It might be yesterday if you're listening to it the day after it came out. Regardless, April 20th, April 21st, I will be in Frisco, home of the Rough Riders, uh, the only team in Texas and the Texas League I've yet to visit, so I made it a one-stop road trip because um, – uh, I'm overdue, and after Chuck Greenberg uh, took over ownership of the team, you know, there's been a lot of impl- uh, improvements to Dr. Pepper Ballpark, the Lazy River Chief among them, and um, I'll be there on Grease Night on the 21st, the the movie Grease, um, not the country Grease, and uh, I've still never seen Grease. That was on my to-do list, and I didn't do it, so uh, I might meet Frenchie, and I'm going to be like, <laughs> I don't know who you are, so, except you were, she, but she's going to be at the ballpark. Frenchie will be at the ballpark, and... Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting her, and uh, who knows? Maybe I'll be able to watch Greece on a plane. Yeah, you got enough time. How long is that flight? It's like it's like a about the length of Greece. Yeah. Okay. Well, between now and then, get not the, the country, the movie, right? Like that could have yes. been interpreted either way, length of a flight, distance wise. But you just mean the length of the movie, Greece. Yeah. The <laughs> the the flight to Dallas Fort Worth is about the length of from New York City is about the length of Greece, the movie. The movie. Okay. Just wanted so to what, clarify. Um, what what yeah. else are you going to kind of be looking for other than just how they handle a promo night, how how the Lazy River is going? I mean, do you actually have plans to go in it? Yeah, yeah. I've talked to the team. We haven't exactly figured out what we're going to do, but I'm definitely looking forward to do something unique with the Lazy River. Um, you know, I've written about it on the blog and on MILB.com before, so I feel like an article just getting quotes about it is probably not the direction to go. Uh Hopefully, have a, a video element and do something, uh, you know, fun and maybe not interactive, but um, you know, something that gives the visual experience of what it's like to ride a lazy river in a ballpark. And beyond that, um, yeah, grease night. Uh, I have a designated eater lined up, and we'll be doing some food content, of course. Um, a few article ideas floating around, but so much of what I end up doing at a ballpark cannot really quite be planned. And it gives me a lot of anxiety going in because I always want to know I'm getting something. But I think some of the best things I've ever done or the things that I'm proudest of are the things that just sort of happen. So I have two nights, a really engaged team and front office staff, and I'm just hoping for the best and, and wish me luck because I am prone to anxiety. But I get over it. I hit those ballparks, and uh, I do my best. So follow along. Twitter, at Ben's Biz. Yeah, well, when you have a two-night stay like this, I mean, most of your trips are just bopping around to one night and you're trying to pack so much in. I mean, when you have two nights like this, do you do everything in one night and see what happens in the second or split it up halfway? I mean, how do you kind of treat a trip like this? I think my philosophy will be to look at the first night as, you know, do the designated eater, try to get some Lazy River stuff um, and do it more like I normally do it. Taking a lot of laps around the ballpark, get a ballpark tour beforehand, probably X, Y and Z. And then as the night goes on then I'll be able to make some notes to myself of things I can focus on the next night that either didn't get done properly the night before or that were things I couldn't do that night that I can then go into the next day like, bam, here's my angle, here's my story. And uh, that's worked out in the past on two-night trips where stories that came about wouldn't have happened in one night because I needed the experience of one night to know, to even have the idea to do it in the first place, if that makes sense. So I'm glad to be there for two nights. and um, Well, three nights. I'm flying out tonight, Wednesday, two ball games. And then I'll be home on Saturday. It's going to be a whirlwind. 
One of the things that I'm bummed about is this will be the first road trip since the demise of the website Vine, and Ben created some of my favorite minor league baseball content over the last six, eight years thanks to Vine with uh, road trip hotel room reviews and also the uh, irreverent ballpark joke of the day. What Do you have something in the hopper? I mean, you could still do like a Twitter video, I guess, or an Instagram video, that type of thing, but it's not fun because you're not going to have to be constricted to six seconds. Are you, are you reviving anything like that, or are you just going to let them all go off on the old dusty trail you know a lot of that is still kind of played by ear i think i'm going to try to continue with the uh, groundbreaking and subversive ballpark joke of the day i really did like the vine format because it would force me to you know set up set up punchline in, in six seconds and i, I like that challenge but i think for now i'm going to try to convert that stuff to instagram and uh you know develop maybe a, a greater presence on there tweet when i can and always up open for suggestions because uh I'm no social media maven or guru or whatever words people use online to describe people are good at something. So, um, you know, help me out with the social media. But RIP Vine. I really liked Vine. Yeah, me too. uh, It was like the only good thing that Twitter ever came up with. Like Twitter is a garbage pile, but Vine was fun. I like Twitter too, man. I think like anything in life, if you focus on the negative, you're going to have a negative experience. I just hang out with good people in real life and on social media. I have no problem. Lord knows among the conversations that you and I and Sam have had, none of us ever focus on the negative in life. Uh, Ben, Mm -hmm. let's uh, let's talk about something that is really cool and very positive. The promo preview coming out this week. Uh, There is a, a bobblehead in Akron that is one of the more unique ones that we'll see this season in baseball. Yeah, I got a promo watch column uh, every running every Tuesday that I, in which I can swing it when I'm not on the road, and um, you know I've been writing about this stuff for years. So every week when I look at, take a look at upcoming promos, I'm looking for something that I haven't written about before. The Akron Rubber Ducks this coming Saturday, the uh, 22nd, um, are honoring an usher who retired at the end of last season after 20 years on the job, Mr. Jack Kilway, and I just thought that was cool. I like to. Uh, you know, really focus on the regional and local things and the things that teams do to make them unique and that can't necessarily be replicated around the minors. And I think it's really cool to to honor an usher in that capacity. So I talked to Jack Kilway. You can read uh, my interview with him in the new promo watch column on MILB.com, get his thoughts on the matter. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, he's overjoyed. He's an 82-year-old guy who worked uh, in the grocery industry for 47 years, retired in an additional 20 years as an usher at the ballpark, um, you know, really beloved beloved presence. And uh, I just think it's really cool to highlight the people who are such a crucial part of the game day experience who might get overlooked because they're not uh, – you know, sexy names, so to speak. They're not prospects. They are uh, just the the people you can count on every day. And I like when teams honor them, and I hope that kind of thing continues to happen. Yeah, but how do they kind of promote this type of stuff? I mean, it is a really cool idea, and it's it's great to to you know to have this on the schedule. But when you're trying to uh, when you're trying to get people to come to the ballpark with these types of promotions here, get this bobblehead of somebody you might not have known if you've never come. I mean, how do they kind of promote this in the community, trying to get people out to act? Well, I'm not sure there's specific promotional um, approaches with this one, but there's only a thousand. So I don't think there's going to be a, a huge surplus. And you're right. You know, like, for instance, the Akron Rubber Ducks later in the season are giving away an Enrico Palazzo bobblehead um, referencing Naked Gun and uh, the umpire that Leslie Nielsen was in that climactic scene. That's, that's the kind of bobblehead people are going to probably line up for. And uh, that will probably go for decent money on the secondary 
your market if you're one of those collector types. In Usher Bobblehead, not so much. But again, this is a guy who's been in the community his whole life, uh, you know, worked at a local grocery store, managed a grocery store for 47 years, was well known at the ballpark for an additional 20 years. Uh, I think there's enough interest in that from the people who know him to be interested. And then beyond that, people just like bobbleheads. And there'll be enough people who are like, this is cool. I might not know that guy specifically, but this is cool. And if you don't think it's cool, give it to someone who does think it's cool. You know, there's only a thousand. Yeah, I, I want to get one thing straight. Like, I don't, I don't think that you only have to have like gate value to have a bobblehead. I mean, this is a, a really cool thing. I just w- wonder about it in terms of like the pr- promotional way, um, you know, why this. But I guess it's a Saturday game. People are probably coming anyways. That it'll be a lot of could be a um, collector's item in a couple of years. We might see it on eBay. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. And uh, but you're right. I don't think this is one that uh, a team would do to blow out a night that otherwise might not be remarkable this is a saturday night good crowds in akron regardless and as a bonus and usher being honored as a bobblehead i think it's the sort of thing that goes beyond uh, necessarily thinking you know how much revenue will this drive and it's more saying we are an organization that values our people to the extent that we will honor them with bobbleheads ben what else is going on in promo preview this week oh all sorts of stuff tyler um we got the el paso chihuahuas doing their first uh, diablos days wearing the throwback uniforms back to when they were a double-A club, you know, a good uh, 10, 20, 30 years ago. So that's a really cool uh, throwback promo that's happening uh, every Thursday home game uh, throughout the season. We got the Fresno Grizzlies with 90s night. Of course, the Fresno Grizzlies are always doing things in a unique fashion. On this particular 90s night, they're honoring Criss Cross, Daddy Mac, and Mac Daddy, of course, had the iconic hit Jump, which I was in middle school when that came out, so I loved it. And... Um, these are backwards jerseys. You know, crisscross wore backwards right. clothes. That was yeah. their, their gimmick. These are backwards jerseys and that the front is on the back and the back is on the front and vice versa and vice versa. So uh, pretty cool angle there. And then as a late-breaking addition, they're selling cans of Surge at the ballpark, the uh, energy drink, which is still being made. <laughs> These are not expired cans of Surge, but it is something that is looked upon um, you know, as a 90s thing. It's something you might have drank in the 90s if you were a Nick kid, I guess, right. watching some Rugrats and drinking Surge. I don't know. But uh, you can buy Surge at the ballpark for the first and probably last time in Fresno on Saturday. So those are some big ones. And uh, what else we got? We got Grease Night in Frisco. I'll be there, so I'll tell you all about it. Oh, and then uh, back to the Grizzlies. You know, they used to be a Giants affiliate, and they still celebrate the Giants uh, in their promotions. They're giving a Buster Hugs bobblehead away, give, uh, giveaway, which is uh, Tim Lincecum and Buster Posey hugging after winning, winning the World Series. And it's a uh, really emotional display in a bobblehead. They're just uh, – it looks like Lincecum's sitting on Posey's lap, and they're <laughs> hugging, and it's a strange image. And uh, – Really cool bobblehead, so they're giving that away this weekend as well. What a week. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to touch on that you did a blog post about, which is just incredible that it's happening, I guess. Uh, but Charleston is doing an April 20th uh, promotion, and if anybody knows what April 20th is, it's 420. And if you know what 420 is, I'm not going to spell it out for you. Uh, but what is Charleston doing uh, to celebrate April the 20th? Well, yeah, 420 is a holiday and for, for many people around the country. And um, the River Dogs are capitalizing on this by working to legalize marinara at the ballpark. You want to say that one more time just so everybody got it real clear? <laughs> marinara. Marinara. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
don't ask me. Ask the River Dogs. But they are trying. They're advocating for the legalization of marinara, which is already legal, and they're going to have plenty of 100 gallons of it at the ballpark as part of their legalization efforts. And uh, on top of that, they announced today that in addition to having 100 gallons of marinara and adding it to their concession specials as part of their bid to legalize marinara, they're giving away bags of oregano to the first 500 fans, which would spice up your marinara. Marinara? Yeah, either way. I'd go with marinara. Seems like a real so, missed opportunity for the one team that'll be playing at home on 420 in this state, but that is neither here nor there. Yeah, you know, it's tough in minor league baseball. <laughs> you you got to be family friendly at all times. The River Dogs are pushing the envelope with this one, but it's pretty hilarious just to uh, take a Thursday night, which are already a little the loosest night of the week in minor league baseball with That's Thursday true. Thursdays. That and uh, I don't think this would happen on any Thursday night, but 420 happened to be a Thursday. And, uh, you know, two worlds converge, Thirsty Thursday, and legalize uh, marinara. There was a, uh, I believe in Peoria in uh, the Arizona Fall League a couple of years ago, there was a pizza chain, and that was their slogan, and it was on a gigantic outfield wall sign uh, at Peoria Sports Complex, the spring training home of the Padres and, uh, and Mariners. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a movement, man. The legalized marinara movement, it is out there. He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and you can check out promo preview and all kinds of stuff from the road through uh, Frisco and the Texas League uh, coming up this week and next week. That's where Ben will be the end of this week and into the weekend. And enjoy it, man. Have fun in Frisco. Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to it. My uh, flight leaves later this evening, so safe travels to me. And looking forward to talking to you guys next week uh, when I'm back home. And hopefully I'll have good stories to tell. Hey, safe travels to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again to Mark Rizalonic and Benjamin Hill for joining episode number 106. The other thing that we never remember to do, we never remember the episode title, and we also never remember before we get to the segment where we pick our Milb TV games. We never remember to do that. And then we always find good ones. Sam, what are you watching this week on Milb TV? Yeah, I was going to say, that's not something we need to tell people, do we? But that's all right. It just, I like it to pull just back the curtain our... on this podcast. It's good. Yeah, I think we're very open about how we put this, yeah. this together, which is with uh, paper clips and bubble gum. If we only but, forget um, two things out of an entirety, of a podcast i think we're doing pretty well oh yeah for sure yeah let's <laughs> let's let's spin it that way um well i mean if we're gonna be if if we're gonna do a mark rudzalonic interview we might as well tell you what his team is doing this weekend which uh they've got a couple of home games saturday sunday uh the reason i mentioned those two obviously gonna be on mlb tv is all charlotte night's games are um but they'll be hosting Rochester, and uh, Reynaldo Lopez is scheduled to go on Saturday, and uh, Carson Fulmer is scheduled to pitch on Sunday. Um, that's right now. Those are the probables. Uh, two immensely talented guys, both who could end up in the the bullpen. You heard Tyler ask uh, Grizzlonic about Fulmer, particularly. Lopez also has two killer pitches right now in his fastball and breaking ball uh, that could translate very well into relief. Uh, it sounds like he's not using the changeup as much in his first couple starts with Charlotte. Maybe that'll be something to watch on Saturday. They try to get him back to that. Um, but you know, these those are both two guys. You know, as we've mentioned, have had major league experience. Uh, need to find some polish. They'll get their chance against Rochester this weekend. So, if you want to see you know 
an interview play itself out live. I mean, that those would be the two games I would watch uh, just to, to keep tabs on those two guys. Determine for yourself whether they look like they can stick like starters. I uh, gave Sam one matchup that I'm watching, and I've also got another one. Uh, but one that I think is going to be interesting to have an eye on comes on Thursday nights. So by the time you all are listening to this, it may be in progress, but it's an 810 Eastern start on Thursday night. A guy we have discussed on the podcast before, South African right-hander Dylan Unsworth will get the ball in his first start of the season for the AA Arkansas Travelers. Unsworth actually started the year up in AAA with the Tacoma Rainiers. He made two starts up there, uh, but he was sent back to the AA level as of three days ago, back on Sunday. So he will make a start at home on Thursday evening against Springfield, but he's a fun arm to watch. It was really impressive in Major League Spring training this year. Uh, again, we've discussed on the podcast before, it's kind of a race right now between Unsworth and the Mariners organization and Gift and Gope and the Pirate system uh, as who could be the very first African-born Major Leaguer in history. So uh, somebody to watch uh, in the Texas League coming up on Thursday. Also on Thursday in the Southern League, there's a really good cross-Chicago clash between a couple of starting pitchers. And again, with starting pitchers kind of always subject to change just because of the way that rotations can stack up and things can get mixed around for minor league teams. But as of right now, the uh, slated matchup on Thursday night at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time in Tennessee will be Michael Kopech and the Chicago White Sox organization going for Birmingham against Trevor Clifton in the Chicago Cubs organization going against Tennessee. So if you're a fan of uh, Chicago area baseball, that's a good one to match up between a couple of top prospects in the White Sox and Cubs system. And that's game one of a doubleheader. So that'll be a seven-inning matchup starting at 5.30 Eastern time and uh, those two teams will follow with seven more that night uh so yeah a lot of good stuff coming up this week on milk tv yeah for sure um i guess this we made this a little bit of a south side centric podcast sorry everybody no no in a good way like that they are a team that deserves you know mention a lot just because that system is so fascinating and it's not just fascinating because of the talent they have, but the question marks that come with that talent. It's not just, yeah, they're really good. It's like, no, we need to know more about these guys before we can make, uh, you know, great evaluations of them. So that's all the more reason to, to turn on this weekend. Um, you know, Tyler mentioned Kopech just to see exactly how hard he's going to throw. I mean, that's always must watch stuff. So uh, the fact that you know when that's coming should be should be a big thing. And like Tyler said, just keep an eye out, um, you know, before the game. If you're not going to the game itself, uh, make sure he's still scheduled for Thursday and it hasn't been pushed back or something. But yeah, I mean that if you wanted to, you could watch White Sox pitching prospects all weekend and and have a full weekend for yourself. So you can find all that and more at milb.tv, and you can get hooked up for your subscription for the 2017 season there as well. And uh, that'll do it for episode number 106. Thanks again to Mark Rizalonic and to Benjamin Hill, and our thanks as always to you for tuning in. You can get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and I am at Tyler Mon. We will talk to you guys next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.